I'm getting tremendous excitement from young voters because they understand what is at stake here. And I think they would think it's better to have a 60-year-old that can defeat climate change than a 37-year-old that's never left it a finger to do anything about it. So yeah, I think we're in pretty good shape in this regard, and I'm happy about our campaign. I'm Brian Anderson. You're listening to California Nation. Meet Jay Inslee. He's running for president and has qualified for a spot on the Democratic debate stage by meeting the party's polling requirements. He's the current governor of Washington and is vigorously campaigning on the issue of climate change. He participated in a March for Science in Sacramento recently and visited our studio just before the event. Because on my deathbed, I'll tell you what I want to do. I want to look at my grandkids in the eye and said, I did everything possible to save you from climate change. And I'm going to see my grandkids tomorrow morning, and i got to tell them that there's a couple hundred people in Sacramento that are marching for their future. Because you're marching for science. Let's go build a clean energy future. Thanks a million. Let's go get them. Good luck. I caught up with him to learn more about his agenda and why he thinks he's the person to beat Donald Trump in 2020. Today on the podcast, we're bringing you that conversation. All right. Enjoy the show. We are not going to have a circus here. But we just left pleasure for paradise. Can you please hug me? (laughs) Do not worry, Dutch is not here today. We, We clearly learned our lesson. These are not ordinary times. And this will not be an ordinary election. So let's get into it. For people who are hearing your name for the first time, Mm -hmm. who are you and what should they know? Well, I hope they'll know I'm a governor of a state that shares a lot of the values with the state of California of innovation and the power of diversity and progressive value systems that we share. There's two parts of my candidacy that I I hope hope people will know. Number one, I'm the candidate and the only candidate who said that that I will make uh, defeating climate change the number one priority of the United States. And I feel that has to be uh, the situation because if it's not number one, it won't get done. And I'm the candidate who's been working on this issue for uh, over a decade and a half. And I'm the candidate who's been able to actually make progress on this issue We just passed our 100% clean electrical grid bill that really is the strongest in the nation and the strongest energy efficiency uh, in the nation. So uh, my candidacy is based on the principle that we need to uh, have an alliance of continuing the effort that we've had in Washington and California and bringing that national to national scale. The second part of my candidacy that I hope people will come to value is that I have been the uh, polar opposite of Donald Trump because I've embraced a whole host of Uh, of really progressive values, not only talking about them, but actually getting them done. And I So number one, climate change, and number two, you're not Donald Trump. Well, no, it's bigger. And you're the opposite. Well, no, it's actually different than that. So let let me clarify that if I can. A lot of people are not Donald Trump, but only one candidate in this race has actually got things done that have advanced the progressive values that I believe are dominant in Washington, California, and America. Look, we need a, an economy that works for everyone. And I've got now past the highest minimum wage so we can uh, deal with this pernicious income inequality. I've helped uh, create the best family paid leave in the United States. 
because we're radical in Washington and in California, we think women should get paid the same as men, I've passed the best gender pay equity laws in the United States. Because we want the internet to be successful for everyone, I've passed the very first net neutrality statute in the United States. Because we know we want to break intergenerational poverty, I've had tremendous success expanding early child education. Because we want educators to stay in the classroom, I've passed one of the biggest uh, teacher pay increases in the United States. And because we want health care for everyone, I've now advanced the first public option in the first long-term care plan in the United States. And we're now bringing uh, greater justice by taking the racial disparity out of our criminal justice system. I'm the governor who's pardoned or will pardon uh, an offer pardon of thousands of people for previous marijuana the list convictions. Can, the list can go on, and I know environment is your big one, but I want to make a deal. I promise to get to the environment. I just want some yes or no issues that Californians care about, <laughs> and then I promise you we'll get to your big issue. Thank you. <laughs> so $15 minimum wage, yes or no? Yes, and we've, as I've indicated, I've actually made progress on that. Free tuition at public colleges and universities? We have the best financial uh, uh, wraparound services Everyone in my state now who earns under $55,000 is essentially going to have paid for, but not just tuition. And this is really, really important. It is not enough for communities, for families that are, you know, at that level and below just to have free tuition. You have to have a way to eat. You have to have residential help. You have to have books. And so that's it's not where for I think Donald we should Trump's focus. kids. It's targeted. I cannot toward. promise Donald Trump's children they'll have uh, free. And universal single-payer health care. I believe we need universal health care. I think we need to have Medicare for those who want it. And I think we ought to reduce the age of, of eligibility for Medicare. And I think we ought to build on what I've done in my state, which is the public option to make progress. So there's a place for insurance companies in your plan? I would not be eliminating and making private insurance illegal. What share of the federal budget do you think the military should have in environmental Issue should I believe that we can guarantee the security of the United States with a smaller uh, national security budget in the military, but we need to think of our national security budget much larger the, in, than the Pentagon, because to protect our national security, we have to defeat climate change. And the parts of the federal budget that will help us defeat climate change will aid the national security, because we know that climate change is going to drive drought and mass migrations. And the Pentagon has now advised Donald Trump, and he refuses to listen to them, that we have to defeat climate change to secure our national security. So there will be substantial increases of our national investment in a whole host of ways that will increase our ability to preserve our national security and defeat climate change. That's job number one. And you came out with a plan recently about 100 percent clean energy, revitalized electric grid, and one of the things that stood out to me was cutting coal by mm -hmm. 2030. What's your message to those Republican voters that Trump won in West Virginia and coal country who think their job or hope their job is coming back? Well, uh, we recognize the reality. Uh, the coal industry now has been cut by about two-thirds even before we do these policies. And the reason is, is coal is not becoming competitive and jobs have been shrinking dramatically in the coal industry because it simply it can't pencil out. It's just there's much cheaper sources of electricity and solar and wind that are actually now being integrated into the grid. But we know that we have to uh, eventually wean ourselves off of coal, and my proposal is, is that we do so by 2025. We're closing uh, our last coal fire plant uh, by that date. 
And I think we need to do what we've done in Washington, which is to show great respect and dignity to those families that have been mining coal for generations. They have built the industrial might of the United States, and they have to now be embraced by the, by the country to help them through this transition. So I think the nation needs to do what we've done in my state, which is to not just throw people out of work, but instead help them through this transition. So we created a $55 million fund to help with uh, training and retraining and education and, and college and expenses. And Washington? Yes. Uh, and so uh, to help job creation, to help the uh, uh, small businesses thrive, to help communities get infrastructure money, because we want those economies to be built. That's what we need to do uh, nationally. And I'm very convinced that we will do very well in the Midwest. You mentioned the Midwest, I think, because uh, I was chair of the Democratic Governors Association, where we now picked up five seats this year, Wisconsin, Michigan, Minnesota, Illinois, and Kansas, by coming to them with a clean energy, a clean jobs message. Look, I'm the clean jobs guy. I look at this from an economic basis. I wrote a book about this in 2007 and co-authored a book about a plan for job creation around this issue. This is not new to me. I'm the only candidate in the race who's been working on this for a decade and a half. I founded the U.S. Sustainable Energy and Environmental Coalition in the House. I worked with Governor Brown, whose leadership has been fantastic on this. We now have formed the U.S. Climate Alliance. We have 24 states. And our message is job creation, and that is a perfect message for people who can have jobs building wind turbines in Iowa, electric cars in Michigan, uh, solar panels uh, in Iowa, uh, batteries uh, in Nevada, uh, carbon fiber to, to go into the bodies of, of uh, electric cars in Moses Lake, Washington. We just drove by an electric car share. An electric car was parked out here. Uh, I think it might have been a BMW, but I wasn't sure. But if it was, the carbon fiber came from my state with American Washingtonian workers doing that work. We have to connect at the same time that we are preserving the value system of the Democratic Party, which is a woman's right of choice, the power of diversity, rejecting the idea that, that uh, uh, people who are joining us from other countries are somehow evil, um, reducing the divisiveness of Donald Trump. We have to preserve those values. At the same time, we're giving an economic message to people who have economic anxiety. I know how to do that. I've done it. We've picked up seats. We're going to do it again. And I've got to ask, just transitioning to the politics of environmental policy, we're at a time where uh, Washington State and California has sued the Trump administration over EPA regulations being rolled back. And regardless of who seeks the Democratic nomination, it seems likely that you're going to have one branch of Congress, probably the Senate, stay Republican, perhaps. How do you bring Republicans on board to your environmental agenda? What do you think you can realistically get done under uh, an Inslee presidency? Well, look, let's start with the first Republican, and that's Donald Trump. And we need to make him a blip in history, and we need to find someone to defeat him. And I feel very confident in defeating him in part because, and you've indicated this, I've now defeated him 21 times in a row in court. We've had a lot of victories by standing up to Donald Trump. I was the first governor to uh, sue him on the Muslim ban. But for, I'm talking politics. I'm just, getting to that. Okay. <laughs> the, but this is politics, right? The first job is to defeat Donald Trump. The second job is to, uh, yes, be open to Republicans who are willing to help you on climate change. But the fact is there aren't any right now. 
So the only answer is to retire those people for, from public service and get a Democrat that can do actually this job. And don't tell me that it costs too much to, defi to defeat climate change. It costs too much not to defeat climate change. Somebody asked, a Republican asked the other day, how are you going to pay for it? And I'm going, how are you going to pay for it? How are you going to pay for, for Paradise, California that burned down? How are you going to pay for the utility that's going bankrupt in California? How are you going to pay for the floods in the Midwest? That's the type of aggressive Democratic leadership that we need so that we can defeat Dem Republicans and put people in there that actually move the needle. And I'm all about that. So I'm excited about being on the stage and taking this person uh, uh, out of public life. And your campaign website has climate change as an issue and climate change as an issue. That's mm -hmm. That seems to be the singular focus. And a recent poll and survey of Californians shows Democrats rank this as the second most important policy <coughs> priority in California. And for Republicans, it's ninth on the list. Mm -hmm. How do you get environmental issues higher onto that priority list? Well, actually, there's a poll just two days ago that shows this is now the, the number one issue for Democratic voters nationally. And this has changed very dramatically in this regard because now people, this is not a graph on a chart, it's reality. When I started this, you know, a decade and a half ago, this effort, uh, this was a line going up showing parts per million of CO2. That's rather abstract. Now it is uh, Seminole Springs where I visited and met a woman named Marsha Moss who lost everything. When you look into the eyes of a person who has lost everything in a fire, literally, uh, you'll know that minds are changing on this very, very rapidly. I've been at this for a long time. Other candidates have suddenly woken up to this and seen the polling and think, geez, maybe I should say something about climate change. But this has been a deep passion of mine. And now we have a magic moment where we have a marriage of the immediate urgency of this because we know this is the last chance, and it is, this is the last chance to be able to save ourselves from climate change, together with the promise of jobs and economic growth. And I represent that effort, and I think I rolled out a plan that if you'll look at the folks yesterday, said it is the, the boldest, the biggest, and the most ambitious. And that's right, because we are a big, bold, and ambitious uh, nation. So that is what is happening, and uh, I happen to be at the right place at the right time, having been here for a decade and a half. But is it not a mistake to only focus on this? Not saying that it doesn't touch on other issues, because environmental policy touches on jobs, the economy, and a number of yeah. other issues. But is it not a mistake to be talking about those other things? Well, I am talking about those other things, and I'll, I'll give you two answers on that. First off, people who say climate change is a single issue, wrong. It is all the issues. It's economics, where we're losing a billion dollars uh, in the floods in the Midwest. It's economics, uh, because we're, we're losing job creation opportunity if we don't act. But Donald Trump wants to give away clean energy jobs to China, as far as I can tell. It is a health care issue. It is a big-time health care issue. More people in America die from pollution, from internal combustion engines, than die in car crashes in the United States, 10,000 more people. It's a health issue. It's a survival issue. It is a national security issue. As we talked about, the Pentagon has said that a drought is going to cause migrations, it's caused political instability and war, and this is they've identified it as a major national security threat. So climate change is all of these issues. It's not just one, and that's how I talk about it. Uh, but secondly, look, I have two pillars of my campaign. Climate change is perhaps the first. 
But the second is I'm a candidate who has actually been able to make solid, identifiable, concrete, on the ground, real life progress when a lot of other people are just talking about it. Look, I hear a lot of people talking about family medical leave. I've passed the best family and medical leave in the United States. A lot of people think we should raise the minimum wage. I'm the, the guy who's actually given us the highest minimum wage in the United States. A lot of people think women should make the same as men. I share that view. I have passed the best gender pay equity in the United States. A lot of people have said we should raise teacher raises. I'm the candidate who's delivered an average 12% increase for educators. A lot of people talked about the need to reduce racial disparity in the criminal justice system. I'm the governor who has got rid of the death penalty, um, pardoned or offered a pardon to thousands of people with marijuana convictions because the drug war has led to gross racial in, uh, disparity. Uh, I've banned the box, so when you come out of a jail now, you got a shot of actually getting uh, a job and, and fashioned a compromise about police violence that has, uh, that has been so troublesome to communities of color. So <clears throat> if you look at what I've been able to accomplish, I'm the person who's delivered the mail. And if people are looking for a person with executive experience, who has actually done things rather than just talking about it, I think they'll look at my candidacy with, with some interest. and Because I'd like to give to America what I've given to people in the state of Washington. And I just had two final ones. One thing you hear about from talking to voters is about electability. We need someone who can beat Donald Trump. And I, I think there's a concern from some people that uh, a 68-year-old white man who's been a career politician isn't exciting enough. Mm -hmm. What's your response to that? Well, look at people have to decide, you know, what, what they're interested in. But I think defeating climate change is a pretty exciting thing. I think the fact that my grandchildren might have a chance to live a pretty good life, to me, is exciting. And it is also exciting to the younger voters. Uh, if you look at the response to my climate plan, you'll see a lot of younger voters very excited about it because they know the risk of this. I marched with younger voters. I was the only candidate that marched with 14, 15, and 16-year-olds through the streets of New York and held up our sign saying, there is no planet B as we're marching past Trump Towers. I am going to, I'm getting tremendous excitement from young voters because they understand what is at stake here. And I think they would think it's better to have a 60-year-old that can defeat climate change than a 37-year-old that's never left it a finger to do anything about it. So yeah, I think we're in pretty good shape in this regard. And I'm happy about our campaign. And just last one, I, I like to ask this to candidates. Thinking about your career in politics and maybe even dating back further, what do you think is one mistake that you've made or a lesson learned that's informed you going forward? <clears throat> uh, let me give honest consideration to that. Uh, uh, history uh, you know, can make fools of us all, right? So I voted for the crime bill in 1994, and I did that in part because I wanted to ban assault weapons, and I voted to ban assault weapons. I represented a very Republican red district, and I knew that if I took that vote, I would lose my job. And I took that vote, and I helped, I was one of the pivotal votes that banned assault weapons, and indeed I lost my position in Congress. I never have regretted that for a second. That was the right vote then, it's the right vote now. And I have now got the NRA on the run. We've passed three major gun safety positions. So one of the lessons is... Doesn't sound like a mistake. It sounds I'm like getting, you just regret no, losing. I'm getting, no, no, no. That's what I'm going to tell you. Maybe this story is too long for you. But 
But the point is, I never regretted that, even though I lost my seat, because it was the right vote. Uh, I wanted to save people's lives, and I was willing to stand up to the NRA, even if it meant I, le I lost my political uh, uh, position. But now I'm back, riding high, and we're beating the NRA like a drum. Uh, but I also took a vote that history has shown has resulted in some racial disparities in criminal justice. And now that we know that, we, uh, I'm making every effort that I possibly can to reduce racial disparities. That's one of the reasons I'm offering these pardons to thousands of people who have had drug uh, convictions in my state. So uh, there are two lessons learned there. One, you got to stick up for what you believe, which I did. And two, we got to have uh, more justice in our judicial system. And I've been very successful as a governor. And I would say one of the most aggressive on these matters uh, in the United States. Last one, sorry. You've been in California for four days. What lessons from California have you taken during your trip that you think should be applied to the nation? Uh, California is very open to my candidacy. And I hope that that will be applied to the nation. And it really is. I was in Los Angeles yesterday rolling out my clean energy plan. I was really appreciative. Uh, Mayor Garcetti accompanied me, and he has been such a tremendous leader on energy issues. And we were there with the electric buses that he's running and electric cars. And I think the lesson from California and Washington is if we focus on a high-tech future, if we focus on innovation, if we focus on reducing income inequality, if we reject Donald Trump's argument that diversity is a weakness, we know it is a strength. We're seeing a very cosmopolitan, diverse California lead the technological revolution because we do bring in brilliant people from around the world. I was at a company that's making um, autonomous electric uh, vehicles uh, the other day, uh, Zooks, and it's a really cool company. They're building an electric autonomous vehicle from the ground up. And when I looked at the people doing that, it showed the genius of America, which is to bring in talent from around the world. And that's a lesson. Uh, it's one of the reasons I stood up against Trump's Muslim ban, because I believe in the power of diversity to build a more effective culture and economy. And California and Washington are showing the way in that regard. So we'd like to hold up the beacon of the Statue of Liberty uh, in the East Coast uh, with a candidate from the West Coast. And I'm ready to do just that. Governor, thanks for coming on the show. It was great having you. You bet. Don't forget to vote. And don't forget to go to jansley.com to put in a buck so I can make sure I'm on a debate stage, too. But see, you already qualified with polling. Well, we... Everyone's already qualified. Julian Castro, Cory Booker, everyone needs Stoner. <laughs> Hickenlooper, you guys are on the stage. We want to get 65,000. So <laughs> ask him, ask him, if you want climate change on the stage, send in a buck to jansley.com. All righty, sounds All right. good. Thank, Thank you, Thank you so much for tuning in to this edition of California Nation. We've got more interviews with presidential contenders lined up later this month, and we look forward to bringing you those conversations as we have them. I'll be back in your feed soon. Until next time, I'm Brian Anderson. This is California Nation. For my audio test question, I've got to ask about your basketball career and how the hell you get in the Hall of Fame with seven points per game. <clears throat> well, governor privilege. <laughs> you, you could either conclude it was because of my very aggressive defense, <laughs> or my good passing ability, or uh, my tremendous rebounding ability, or you conclude it's because I'm governor of the state of Washington. And so you just—I'll just leave it to your imagination. <laughs> the reason for that, but it is a first. There is no one in America with a seven-point scoring average have their jersey retired. So there you go. It's pretty historic. A record of your own right. <laughs>